listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. I got to tell you something, people. I did this, this quarantine stuff is getting to me so bad because I'm watching 90 Day Fiance and I'm tweeting during it. So it's just awful. I just want to get out of this. And uh, yeah, so that's about it. Anyway, we have a great show today. Our guest is a very, very talented actor. You've seen him in soap operas. You've seen him in The Karate Kid. He has this great new uh, series he co-created called Studio City. And my guest is Sean Kanan. How you doing, Sean? Hey, Steve. Thanks so much for having me on. No problem. So uh, so I got I to gotta ask you, um, the series, when did you decide to yeah. come up with the idea? So Studio City is a project that I've been working on in different evolutions for a really long time. Uh, it was originally called Soap Star, and then it was called The Bubble, and it ultimately became known as Studio City. Uh, it was originally going to be a 30-minute comedy, and through a lot of discussions uh, with my wife and my partners, we decided that the best way to get this made with the amount of money that we had was to do it as a short-form digital series. Um, and so that's what we have right now. And the first, episode, uh, the first season has six episodes, and they're all between 10 and 15 minutes long, so they're they're really digestible. You know, you can you can watch the whole show like on your lunch hour, just about uh, on any of your devices. Now, for you, is that something that um, because you were in soap operas before, so to do a shorter format, is that easier for you to tackle or tougher? Well, it's difficult. I mean, the challenge is this: how do you get the audience to connect with the characters and make them multi-dimensional and introduce? You know, conflict and and you know um, you know themes that you're going to be able to accomplish in such a very short amount of time. So, with that respect, it is difficult. And you know, a, a, a lot of this I attribute to the fact that we've got a great writing team, and uh, our director, my producing partner Tim Woodward Jr., is a, a really talented guy. Uh, and uh, you know, the, the editing really helped out a lot. So. Very much a team effort here, and um, you know we've been really fortunate. We're getting a, a tremendous positive response from people that are watching it. Um, the voting for the daytime Emmys just concluded Sunday. Or actually, last night it did. They extended it, uh, and you know we were pre-nominated for uh, six daytime Emmy awards for the actors. We don't know about the other categories because they only announced the actors, and we were nominated for twelve independent series awards. So. You know, we, we could have asked for more for a, for a first uh, for a first season of the show. Now, you have some good names in it. How do you go about getting them to, to participate? You know what? Really, they're, they're all buddies of mine. Uh, I've worked with uh, pretty much everybody in the cast. Um, you know, Tristan Rogers and I are, are dear friends. Uh, Sarah Brown and I work together on... General Hospital, uh, Carolyn Hennessy and I work together on General Hospital. Patricia Darbo and I have done more things together than I can count. We've done several <laughs> films together. Um, we started working together way back when we were both on uh, Step by Step, uh, which was a, a sitcom. And you know, really, uh, my wife and I sat down and we discussed who it was that we wanted for the roles. And really, uh, these roles were written specifically for these actors. I mean, I really didn't entertain. Now, how logist or uh, realistic is it to the soap opera scene? You know, here's the thing. So 
often when you see soap operas portrayed in films and other television shows where there's sort of like a soap within the medium, you know, they kind of do it in a way that I think is, uh, you know, it's a little bit demeaning sometimes. You know, the, you know, the actors always engage in kind of an overly melodramatic, hyperbolic like acting as if to say, you know, we get that when we're doing a soap opera, this is how the acting is, but when we're not on the soap opera, it's not like that. So I wanted it to be really realistic. Um, you know, it's not spot on in the sense that we do goose it a little bit so that it's like about 95% on, but really we wanted to play the scenes pretty straight and just let the dialogue take care of, of creating, you know, some funny. Now you also did some writing in it. Is that uh, new for you? No, I'm, uh, I'm the creator of the show and uh, executive producer, writer. Uh, I started writing, uh, my first film was a, a film called Oasis Cafe. Uh, and then I, I later wrote a film that Lions distributed called uh, Chasing Holden. So writing something that I've done, um, you know, for, for most of my career. Now for the show, what do you, uh, what do you want the direction to be? To be well, I want to. I want to see if we can take this to a larger format, meaning like a thirty-minute format, uh, and then we're we're trying to decide whether we want to stay uh, with Amazon or move to a different platform, and that's something that we're you know going to be discussing. I mean, obviously, you know, the coronavirus kind of stopped everything more or less in its tracks. I mean, there's almost zero production going on right now uh, in Hollywood. I want to say Hollywood. I don't just mean geographically California, but I mean in the, in the, in a business. So we're going to have to wait and see what filming in, in the new world looks like. Um, you know, but I want to continue to tell compelling story that deals with socially relevant topics. You know, one of the things I'm really proudest about Studio City is that we tackle some really important, uh, you know, issues that are, are very much in the headlines now. We have a great uh, LGBTQ storyline. We have a Me Too storyline. We have we deal with ageism. We deal with suicide. I mean, it's a lot of stuff to deal with for six episodes that are only between ten and fifteen minutes. Uh, and and you know, I, I feel like we do a, a really effective job of telling these stories. And for me, it would be a gift to be able to tell stories like this with a, a longer format. Well, how hard is it as a writer when you sit there and you have to, as you said, they're very serious subjects. You have to make them compact so you really can explore it. I mean, as a writer, it really has to prove, you have to really, must test your chops. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean, I always want to do justice to the gravity of these topics. You know, these are things that are, you know, serious issues that affect people profoundly. And if, if, if somebody's watching the show and they happen to be personally, you know, affected by one of these issues and, and they don't feel that it's being treated in the right way, then, you know, then I'm not doing my job. I, you're very fortunate, like I said, that, you know, we've got some very talented writers on the show, um, my wife being one of them. Um, you know, we've got some people that are all really impassioned by this. And, um, you know, these actors that I'm working with, I trust enough that if, if within the context of the scene, they've got some suggestions that they think is going to elevate the writing and make the, the ultimate final product even better, 
that I'm all for it. I mean, that's why you hire actors of this caliber. It's not just that they're recognizable and can do the job. They bring a certain something to the role that, you know, might not necessarily be initially on the paper. Now, because you know them, it must be good when you have to eventually, you know, it's popular. So it's going to be more, it's going to be more episodes when we get back. It must be great because you know them that they can also probably help expand their character arc. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it, it's an amazing feeling to being, able, to being able to employ your friends. And that feeling is only compounded when the thing that you're asking them to do, uh, you know, achieves success. You know, it just kind of validates everything. Because, you know, so many times uh, friends who are actors will say, hey, can you do this for me? You know, I'm, I'm trying to get this thing made. And you do it. They don't always wind up being what you hope they'll be, either because there's, you know, there's 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 constraints with the budget, there's constraints with time. Uh, so generally, when you're doing projects that are these um, projects of passion, these you know these these favors almost, the deck is not stacked towards doing the best possible work. You know, we we did Studio City. All six episodes were shot in five days, which is it's really unheard of and you know to their credit um our actors learned dialogue on the fly they were incredibly um accommodating and it just pulled together and that's what allowed us to do this and you know you know the fact that we're all pretty happy with the final product just makes it so much better now i lived in la for years i lived in burbank um, why'd you call it okay. studio? Why'd you call it Studio City? Because I know I know like some of the, the some of the soaps shot at the Los Feliz Studios, but why did you come up with Studio City? You know, um, Studio City is a bit of a double entendre. I mean, Studio City is an area of Los Angeles. I lived there for many years myself. Um, you know, Studio City also refers to you know that it's in studios, television making, etc. Um, where Bold the Beautiful and Young and the Restless is filmed is called Television City. Uh, honestly, um, you know, I had some other names in mind, and my my partner, uh, Timothy Woodward Jr., who was the uh, director, uh, you know, he spoke with some people that are in uh, a marketing department of a film company and ran a bunch of titles by. They, they all really seemed to like Studio City. And, you know, I, for me, I was just really excited to get it made. And, uh, you know, you pick your battles, and ultimately, uh, it, it turned out to be a great title. People people really seem to, to like it, and um, honestly, it's better than the, the initial titles I had. Well, it's funny, because as I said, you know, living out, I grew up back east, and living out there for all the time, Studio City, anytime people from, you know, east coast here, Studio, it opens their eyes. It could be, you know, it's like anything, they're like, yeah. holy crap, like, you know, the old Carson show from NBC Studios. And so it's a great yeah, name. beautiful downtown Burbank. Now, now, how did you, uh, how did you and your directing partner, how did you guys get involved? And there's a, there's a strong trust between both of you. So, so Tim Woodward Jr. is a film director. He's done probably 15 feature films, and I'm fortunate enough to work on two of them with him. Um, I did a film uh, with him called Gangsterland with Jason Patrick and uh, uh, with Milo Gibson, Mel Gibson. Son. And then after that, I did another film called uh, Beyond the Law that Tim uh, directed. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, you know, 
know, my wife and I have been friends with him for a while and, and spoke with him about whether or not he'd be interested in doing a short form digital series. And it really appealed to him um, because it was something that he hadn't done before. It was a, um, it was a uh, project that was rooted in television. And Tim is almost exclusively a film director. And, you know, one of the great things about having Tim on the project is he brought his DP who does all his films for him, whose name is Pablo Diaz. And the guy's an award-winning cinematographer. So it gave Studio City a cinematic look. You know, a lot of times you see a digital series and they, you know, they, they just seem to have a very um, consistent style of lighting, which tends to make them all look very similar. And I, I feel like Studio City has a, a grittier, more cinematic look to it, which is, for lack of a better word, a little more eye candy. And yeah, the quality does look good. I mean, you're right. You hear see some of these shows because I always laugh on Facebook. People are like, "Oh, your shows on Amazon," and you see it, and you're like, "It looks like you know old school film school stuff." Yours has a good look. I mean, and that's what's important, especially with Studio City, because you you, you're looking at the soap world, so you have to have a more look for it. Yeah, you know, one of the one of the things uh, that we we did was we wanted to give the feel of when we're on the soap opera within the show, a, a different feeling than when we're in the real world. And one of the ways that we achieved that was with music. You know, there's always sort of a, a very subtle uh, thematic music playing under the scenes of the soap opera. And then there's a lot of times sort of a very staccato, um, rhythmic drum sound that, you know, driving the scenes that are, you know, in the outside world so that there's a clear differentiation uh, between the two because you know most of the characters a lot of the characters have two names you know my my, my character's real name is Sam Stevens but he plays Dr. Pierce Hartley and when you're introducing um, uh, viewers to a brand new show especially when you're using a um, short form like this and you're using two different names it can get very confusing very quickly and so we wanted to make sure that people understood okay we're, we're seeing acting that's in the soap opera and now we're seeing the acting, which is in the world outside the soap opera. Now, what is it like working with your wife? I love working with my wife. Um, you know, I trust her implicitly. And, you know, to have a creative partner that you can trust implicitly is a real gift. Um, you know, we definitely, uh, things come sometimes from friction rather than absorption, but um, I, I think that's, that's kind of the process. I think, I think the best idea, it, it wins, and that's, that's what we like to do. Um, you know, the other advantage is that we're together 24-7 and can always bounce ideas off each other, um, so, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of constantly thinking of ways to make the show better and, you know, what we want to do next season and how we want to promote it, et cetera. Now, do you think I'm, very proud of her. I'm very proud of her too. She uh, she was nominated uh, for several independent series awards, writing being one of them. And we're we're waiting to see if possibly uh, she and I get nominated uh, for writing uh, for the daytime editor. Now, did it help a lot coming up with the show because you were in soaps for so long? I mean, you've acted in movies, you've acted on TV, you've acted in everything. But is that has that does that help more because you you saw that? Absolutely. I mean, I've been working in, in daytime off and on since 1992. And 
it's it's just baked into me. I mean, I I you know, there's there's a couple things that I know in this life. One of them is what it's like to work on a soap opera. You know what I mean? And and, and to be honest, um, you know, Sam Stevens very much is Sean Cannon. I mean, um, you know, yeah, there's some different stuff that happens to him that hasn't necessarily happened to me, but a lot of this stuff has kind of happened to me. And, and, you know, I, I, in a sense, I, I very much am playing myself um, just with different situations because, you know, I've, I've had almost 30 years plus of, of different experiences in daytime. You know, I, I really love daytime. Some of the best actors I've ever worked with come from daytime. And I wanted to create a project that was really effectively a love letter to the film, something that was, you know, not going to be... Uh, not, not going to ridicule them, but really, you know, in a, in a sense, thank them for all that they've given me, which has been tremendous. Now, how did you get? How did you get into acting? Was it when you were a kid? I mean, you look like a big guy. You look like you probably played. Were good at sports. When did you start getting into acting? You know, I, uh, I, when I was in high school, I was doing some catalog modeling. I mean, nothing, nothing, you know, big time. Just sort of Sears and J.C. Penney stuff. And I got hired to do a commercial, and it was a Screen Actors Guild commercial, um, which got me my Screen Actors Guild card, and I was 15, so I didn't really understand, you know, what that would do for me, but eventually when I came out to Los Angeles, I was, gonna, I was finishing my political science degree at UCLA, I was already a member of SAD, which put me, you know, heads and shoulders above all of the people that were trying to get into the union. And I was really fortunate that I already had my sad card. Um, you know, I, I knocked on a lot of doors, got a lot of no's, eventually started getting some small roles on TV. And, and you know, my, my big break came when I got discovered by John Abelson, the Karate Kid 3, at an open call. And that was a, that was a tremendous experience. I, you know, I was in line with 1,500, 2,000 people all trying to get the role of the new bad guy in Karate Kid 3, and you know, John had won the Oscar for Rocky. Um, he had directed the first two Karate Kid films, and uh, you know, he picked me out of the line. I went inside, I, I did a scene with Ralph Macchio, and I ultimately was hired for the role, and it, it changed the trajectory of my career and my life. Um, you know, it, it was very surreal because a year or so before, I was a, a, a paying customer buying a ticket to go see Karate Kid 2, and now suddenly I'm I'm on the set, you know, doing a scene with Ralph Macho and Paparita. Well, it's amazing because, you know, that stuff never happens anymore. You know, it's like the, the open casting calls because now everything, as you know, people send, you know, via yeah. internet. But that just must be amazing because that is like hitting a lottery because, you know, you're someone... It's, you it's, it's, it's absolutely hitting the lottery. It is, without a doubt, hitting the lottery. And you really, you know, you're very correct what you said. I mean, they don't really do open calls anymore. And, and you know, I personally think they did the open call as a publicity stunt. I don't think they ever actually thought they were going to find, you know, a lead actor in the third installment of the successful franchise with lots and lots of money riding on it from some guy that just shows up to the studio. And, uh, you know, I, I, it, on that day, I, I brought my A game. It happened for me. So... Now, what is it like when you go onto the set at that point in, as you said, 
a lot of money in a major, you know, franchise. What is it like as you being a new guy? I mean, you must be sort of shaking yeah. your boots a little bit because, you know, you've done some print yeah. work, but it's not like you've done a lot of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I mean, first of all, you know, you, you got to understand that the majority of the actors had all done two films together before. So, you know, they were cohesive. They were a team. Um, I, you know, I very quickly realized just how sort of serious it was. I mean, there was a, you know, there's a tremendous amount of responsibility between, uh, obviously, uh, you know, uh, learning my dialogue and the, one of the biggest things was learning the fight choreography. I mean, it was imperative that you know, every single move was choreographed so that nobody would get hurt. Um, you know, and then they were, there was there was a lot of pressure. I you know, I don't I don't think to really the very end of the movie where it's the final climactic scene at the at the tournament. I don't know if they really knew if I was going to be good in the film because they were really on me. I mean, there was there was a lot. I mean, maybe they did. I, I think I think what they did was truthfully. I think I think they really rode herd on me because I was, you know, I was kind of an undisciplined kid who got this big role based on a lot of charisma and force of personality. But I had only studied acting for a short time, and and now suddenly, you know, it's you're in a studio film. That's that's like big boy time, and I, I think rightfully so. They kept a very close eye on me. They, you know, made very sure that I was doing every single thing that was expected of me. And, uh, you know, I, it, it worked out. I mean, I, you know, I think they were ultimately very happy with how I did. And, um, you know, the fans seemed to enjoy it. Now, how did people react to you? Because everyone loves Ralph Macchio. I mean, it's one of those things, especially yeah. back then. I mean, you're someone, you're not used to sudden fame. And now, not only do you have sudden fame, but... But you're a bad guy. What did, I mean, how did, how did people react to you when they saw you? You know what was interesting about it, Steve, was that Ralph and, and Pat Morita had done all the press in the first two films. And I don't think they really wanted to do that much for the third one. You know, they kind of, they'd done the, the junkets and all that. So, you know, they sent me around to 13 different cities, and it was fantastic. I mean, here I am, I'm this 21-year-old kid, finally got a little money in my pocket, and they let me bring a friend with me. So basically, you know, I'm flying around to 13 different cities, limos picking me up, doing the press conferences, and it was really terrific. And it um, it really taught me a lot, too, because right away I started to understand and see, you know, how, how the press um, worked in tandem with marketing a film, and it, it gave me some really good lessons and understanding for, for later in life. Um, as, as far as people recognizing me, you know, it, it, it's kind of like a soap opera because you've got such a built-in audience. I mean, the Karate Kid had such a built-in audience that uh, people, you know, they, they really seem to like the character. I mean, he's a reprehensible human being. I mean, Mike Barnes was, had, had no redeeming quality. None whatsoever. Um, but I think it's one of the reasons people people kind of like them. I mean, you know, Johnny Lawrence really wasn't a villain. I mean, and, you know, he wasn't a villain. Mike was just a bad guy. But for some reason, people reveled in his his evil. Hello? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, you, you said people reveled in and then I lost you. For a oh, I'm sorry. So people reveled in his evil. 
Now, so you get done that movie. Yeah. You're still a new actor. How does that change yeah. your career when you come out of the box and you nail that first one? Is it like like a baseball player who has a great rookie year and then you're like, shit, I got to perform again? Where were you mentally when you got done that movie? Um, you know, I think in a lot of ways I wish I would have been less interested in going out and sort of enjoying the fruits of my labor than really, really bearing down even harder. Um, I, I had some auditions soon afterwards and they were big ones. And I just, at that time, you know, had not studied acting enough. I did not have enough experience. And, you know, sometimes opportunities like that never come back. I mean, I, I can name one in particular, which was gut-wrenching for me. I mean, I had an audition with Ron Howard, and I just wasn't really ready for it. Unfortunately, uh, I've never auditioned for uh, Ron again. So, Mr. Howard, if you're listening, I would love to audition for you again. Um, but by the same token, you know, I did also have fairly immediate success Right after, Francis Ford Coppola was producing um, a television series called The Outsiders based upon the S.D. Hinton novel. And there was, of course, the movie The Outsiders, which Ralph Macchio was in. Uh, and I, I won uh, the, the coveted role of the leader of the, the Socias, the Rich Kids Gang. And that, to me, was like another dream come true. I grew up on all of S.D. Hinton's books. And, you know, that was then. This is now Rumblefish, The Outsiders. And again, I found myself like, you know, in a, in a 1950s convertible car doing a big rumble scene with all the greasers. And I mean, it was, it was fantastic. So, uh, you know, I, I, you, you, you do the best with what you have. And, uh, you know, I, I continued to work after that, did a lot of television. And uh, then I decided, you know, I really need to, I need to tighten up my, my, my acting game. I, I need to. I need to continue in class, which I did. And I also took a role in a play, and that really started the beginning. I think of me, you know, becoming a more serious actor. Um, you know, the, the requirements for me in the play, you know, the bar was a lot higher than just doing sort of a guest role on television. And uh, the play was very successful, and I was successful in it. And um, after that, uh, I, I screen tested for. General Hospital, and that's where my career in daytime started. Now, the play, the play, you sat there, you were in it. What made you, and did you at your one point sit there and go, okay, you know, I, I really love acting. I've gotten lucky with some breaks. I've gotten on TV. But did you say, you know, what made you decide to walk away and audition for a play? Um, I, I just, I, I, I realized that I needed to start to gain some bona fides. You know, I needed to start to enhance my resume as a serious young actor, you know, as, as opposed to a guy that's done some roles, but, you know, hadn't necessarily worked real hard on the craft. And I hate, I hate to talk about the craft of acting, so I'm not going to do that. But, um, you know, I, I needed to, to pay some dues, basically. And uh, for me, there, you know, you know, an actor makes his bones in the theater. That's where you learn really to act. And, you know, the, the, the curtain goes up and there's no, no one yelling cut till the end of the play. And uh, you're doing the play, you know, four or five times a week in front of a live audience. And it's, it's absolutely 
some of the best experience that you can get as an actor. I, w- I would encourage every young actor, uh, you know, do theater whenever and wherever you can. Now, the soap opera, when you went into daytime TV, what is it like yeah. coming on a show that's been on for a long time and people, you're under scrutiny, especially back back then, so many people watched. Yeah. Um, uh, it was, again, a lot of pressure. I mean, uh, you know, General Hospital, very successful show with a, a very uh, long history that actually started in radio, believe it or not. I believe, radio, you know, it was a radio show and then it became a black and white television show, I mean, you know, just decades and decades before I got on. Um, and and the, the thing that was different about that was there was a tremendous amount of dialogue. Um, you know, it was absolutely not uncommon for me to have to learn 25, 30 pages of dialogue a night and, and be able to, you know, hit the mark and deliver it on the first or second take. And so, again, lots and lots of pressure. Um Now, how did the people react to you? I mean, as I said, I, I had, uh, what's his name, Taos Pinglis on at my show ages ago when I was in Burbank. And it was so funny, like, women were going crazy on Twitter because he was on. Because soap opera people, you have, a, as we said earlier, there's a very, you know, focused well, I, crowd. I, 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 was, I, I, was, I was very successful. I had a, I had a terrific character. Um, I was nominated for uh, Best Newcomer in Daytime uh, my first year. And... Um, you know, it was a very special time on the show. Uh, it was me, uh, Vanessa Marcel, Ricky Martin, um, Antonio Sabato Jr., and Steve Burton. And, and, you know, the show was incredibly popular. I was in a very big storyline. And, um, you know, it, it, it worked out really well for me. Now, I read, uh, and I don't know if this is true, but your Deacon Sharp was one of your favorite characters. Why was Deacon your, one of your favorite characters, and how did that whole storyline start where you ended up being on two different soap operas with it? Well, I've actually been on four soap operas. No, with, with but, Deacon Sharp. Uh, with Deacon I, I, Sharp. I left General... Yeah, I left General... Oh, oh, I Deacon Sharp, yeah. Well, I started... I started... Bold uh, the Beautiful in, I think, 2001. Um, Deacon Sharp was just absolutely such a rebel, and, you know, there was stuff that... I was able to do on the show, which no one else had done. I was—I smoked on the show. Nobody in television smoked. And I mean, it's not that I advocate smoking, but they really allowed me to make this guy super edgy. Um, I, oh my God, I got my mother-in-law pregnant. I mean, it's, I, was, I was just a, a scoundrel and people loved it. And, uh, you know, but he was a scoundrel with, uh, with a, a, a little bit of a good, a good heart deep, deep down. And I uh, did a lot of bad things, but people saw that this was a guy who was, uh, you know, he was sexy and funny and all that sort of stuff. And but he could also be very vulnerable, and it just resonated with the audience. And then, Bold and Beautiful and Young and the Restless are kind of sister shows over at CBS. And you know, there've only been a couple characters in daytime that have crossed over to other shows. I mean, maybe maximum, I'm going to say like ten characters in the history of daytime, and, and I was one of them. And it was really terrific to literally walk across the hall because Bold the Beautiful and uh, Young and the Restless are on opposite sides of the same hallway at Television City. And so, you know, literally I would pass by old 
hold the beautiful castmates and just take the left where they took a right. And I got to play with a whole new group of wonderful actors. And it was just very exciting. Um, so, now, yeah. Now, now when, you, when you leave one to go to the others, because your storyline has grown out of that one show and they go, well, we want to bring it to a new audience. How does that work? Because you're right, you know, it's soap opera. You know, I, I, I honestly don't know what the inner machinations of what got me over from Bold the Beautiful to uh, Young and the Rest. I, I, really, I, don't, I don't really remember uh, because it was quite a while uh, since that happened. But, um, uh, you know, the, like I said, the shows are sort of interrelated on a business level. And so I, I don't know what the discussions were, but, you know, when the opportunity came for me to go over to uh, Young and the Restless, I jumped at it. I mean, it, you know, it, it was the number one show in, uh, in daytime. Uh, there were some actors there that I'm really, really uh, big fans of and wanted to work with. I very much wanted to work with Eric Braden. Um, and uh, and Melody uh, Melody Thomas Scott and uh, Melody Scott Thomas Thomas Scott Melody Scott Thomas and you know I I, I was it, it put in a storyline with you know the, the two big actors on the show and it was terrific and so you know the character was also a success on Young and the Restless. Now, being someone who was in soaps, do you think that if soaps had started five years ago, they would have flown? Because the, the you know when you break them down. They're, they're very. They've been very racy. They've been very cutting edge. You know, people think soaps, but there's always yeah. good, very good character development. I mean, you know, and, and people could say, "Oh, that's a crazy character," but it's like, yeah, but you remember it. Do you think soaps now, with you know, with the attention span and that everyday long story, do you think soaps would play out if they if they just came out? I, I don't know. I mean, you know, the, the entire paradigm of television. And the way that we watch television has changed. So if you ask me if a show came on at 1, 1 p.m. Monday through Friday and it was a new show, do I think it would be successful? I'd say probably not, you know, because now it's like I want to watch my show not only when I want to watch it, but on what device I want to watch it. I mean, who, who ever says, okay, I got to go home on my couch at one o'clock to watch a show. The reason people continue to tune into soap operas is because you know these are these are characters they know, they love, they they've spent years watching and are invested emotionally in their storyline. And, and the one, well, I think soap operas do several things very well. One of which is they really connect and hook on an emotional, visceral level with the audience. I think, you know, also, they're obviously written as cliffhangers, and so it keeps people wanting to know more. Uh, and I think also, you know, soap operas tend to utilize, like we do in Studio City, socially relevant and timely issues. Because you're turning out one show a day throughout the year. In other words, you know, on soap operas, generally we take August off, and we take a, a, another month off during um, Christmas. But there are shows that are airing all during that time, which means that you're shooting schedule, you're shooting a show and a half a day so that you bank enough shows. And in order to do that, in order to have enough storyline, you know, and to be sort of timely, you know, it allows you to take stuff that's going on right then in the news, you know, things that are really pertinent social issues and, and, and deal with them almost in a real time uh, 
way. Now, do you think because, you know, as I said, you've had these two great characters, you know, everyone remembers their characters. Do you think that's harder as an actor when you go and you play another role? Like, do you ever do theater anymore? Do I ever do what? Do you ever do theater anymore? You know, uh, the, last, uh, the last play I did was a couple years ago. I did True West. Uh, actually, Tristan Rogers was in it. Uh, I did True West in, uh, at the Palm Canyon Theater in Palm Springs. And I, I mean, I loved it. It was a play that I had done before. I'm, I'm a, a big fan of Sam Shepard's work. And uh, you know, the thing with the thing with theater, it gets it gets more difficult to do it as as you're working more in TV and film because it's a huge commitment. I mean, you're usually going to rehearse for six weeks, and then the play is usually going to run for a month. So you're you're talking about almost a two month period where that's your life. Um, and I did do a play once, uh, did a play called It's Just Sex, and I was also on a show at the same time, and it really was difficult. I mean, it, you know, I literally would work on the show all day and then, you know, run to the theater to do a performance uh, at night. And, I mean, it was exhilarating, but it was also very difficult. So, you know, we mentioned earlier about Studio City and what's going on with coronavirus. How do you think coronavirus is going to affect the business? I've talked to different actors recently. Terry Kinney and Ray Abruzzo both had, you know, been around. They're old schoolers, you know, I mean, theater guys. Yeah. And they had just very different views. How do you, how do you think it's going to affect the, the, the craft as a whole? You know, I, I think, honestly, we're going to get this under control at some point. And I think once it's under control, things are going to return back to normal i mean you know obviously people may have to be tested but you know you're gonna you're gonna be able to much in the way they're gonna do with sports teams you know you're gonna clear a group of people that are okay to interact with each other that's my guess um in the short term i don't know i mean how, how are you gonna do a love scene i mean how are you gonna do a kissing scene how are you gonna do a scene a fight scene you, you know what i mean i i don't know and it's one of the concerns i have for studio city right now I mean, we have to figure out what you know, entertainment, including sports, is going to look like in the age of Corona. I, you know, all I can hope for is that we are able to resolve this effectively as soon as possible. Now, how did Studio City end up on Amazon? Um, well, you know, Amazon's a great format. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, so many people have subscriptions to it. It's, it's so easy for people to access. Um, so many people have Prime because they, you know, they, they, they get it when they're, a lot, many people get it when they're also, you know, getting their ability to buy stuff on Amazon. It just seemed like a really uh, good uh, platform for us. Um, and, and, you know, so far we're very happy with it. Now, what would be your idea, your ideal situation? I mean, besides saying, you know, get it to a regular network, what would be your ideal situation for Studio City and which way to go as a growing show? Um, I think my ideal situation would be that it goes to a, a you know, a 30 minute format or thereabouts. Uh, you know, um, I, I love the freedom that you have on the cable networks, you know, you have the ability to, you know, you're not censored the way you are on um, the big three networks. Um, you know, it would be wonderful to have, uh, uh, you know, a plentiful budget where 
can, you know, pay our actors well and bring on new talent and, you know, all of that sort of stuff with the bells and whistles to turn out the best possible show that we can. I think that would be my, that'd be my dream for it. And that, you know, like I said, we continue to tell great stories that deals with, you know, pertinent issues and, uh, you know, connect people to the characters. Well, that's awesome. So, so, no, so what else do you have on your docket besides Studio City before all this stuff happened? You know, honestly, uh, that's pretty much about it. I mean, it's been pretty all-encompassing for me. Um, uh, you know, I, last year was a busy year for me. You know, getting Studio City made was a big deal. I also had a book that came out uh, that I co-authored, which was called Success Factor X. And, uh, you know, the book was named one of the 20 best inspirational books of the last two decades by Book Authority. Uh, that was a massive project. My partner and I went out to 50 people in all different fields and said, what is your best advice about success? And uh, we, you know, have participants ranging from Mark Cuban and Anthony Robbins to, you know, Daryl McDaniels, founding member of Run DMC, baseball players, football players. Uh, you know, and it, it was it was a huge undertaking getting the book made. You know, getting all the deliverables to the publisher, etc. So that's pretty much what I've been doing with my life up up to now. Uh, and you know, now it's going to be about planning season two of Studio City. What made you decide I to? Did, I also did a film last year too. What's that? I said I also did a film last year too. Uh, I did Beyond the Beyond the Law with Steven Seagal and DMX, which. Uh, Woodward directed. Now, what made you decide to write the book? Because it sounds it's very interesting. Well, it's my second book. Um, I, I, you know, I love writing. Uh, I, I have trouble sitting still. I mean, I'm always looking for something else to do. I, you know, I, I don't like to be pigeonholed, so I like to do different things. I think the different things I do creatively sort of satisfy different parts of me. Um, my dad's an author. My dad is. Uh, written, God, I don't know, seven or eight books now, and so it's, it's kind of, I guess, in my blood, um, and I just felt this was a really unique idea, something that would resonate with people, and you know, the book became an Amazon uh, new release bestseller, I don't know, maybe like 10 days after it came out, and uh, it's just gotten a tremendous uh, reception. Uh, it's available on Amazon, it's called Success Factor X, and I, I really think now more than ever, with everything going on, you know, it's the kind of book you can reach for, and you can get some um, emotional sustenance. You, you know, it can it can give you some uh, some inspiration. Uh, listening to these people that have achieved so much about how they've done it and what some of their secrets are. Well, that's awesome, man. You know, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on. I know you're well. It's so funny now because you know people in the beginning they they. They didn't want to talk at first because everyone was depressed, but now everyone's getting antsy because any creative person, you know, yeah. you get antsy. So I want to thank yeah. you. Now, now what's your, 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 you tweet a lot, right? I do. Yeah. People want to follow me. Um, they can follow me on Twitter or Instagram. It's at Sean Cannon. And, uh, I would just encourage everybody, please check out Studio City on Amazon. We're building our audience. It, it's really a terrific little show. You know, we're kind of like the little engine that could, it's got a great heart. And, and I really think people will connect with it. If you do watch it, you know, hit me up on social. Let me know what you think, what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to see. Because I would really like the show to be responsive to, uh, you know, to the people that watch it. 
That's awesome. Well, people, so go check it out. Studio City. Go follow him on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter at Cooper Talk. My website, coopertalk.net. I have over 790 episodes. Email me at cooper at coopertalk.net. And uh, that's about it, people. Stay safe out there. Keep supporting small businesses. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, and take your vitamins. And I'll talk to you guys next time. <laughs>